This episode of Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point is sponsored by Blue Bridge Games. For the games and gifts you won't find anywhere else, head to Grand Rapids, Michigan's friendliest local game store, Blue Bridge Games. Blue Bridge Games carries an extensive line of board games, card games, role-playing tabletop games, Magic the Gathering, and more. Stop into their storefront on East Fulton or shop with them online at bluebridgegames.com. You say you want to watch a drama. You say you want to watch a comedy. Well, you can watch it with your mama. Or you can watch it with your daddy. You'll even sit and watch it with your middle schooler. So you can come and talk around our water cooler. We're watching all day and all night. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa, whoa. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa. Welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast entitled Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point, which is based on a blog of the same name, because if suicide is painless, keeping the same name across a brand is probably a snap. Remember, the MASH theme song is entitled Suicide is Painless. That's the whole joke, people. I am the blogger in question and the self-styled chief couch potato. My name is Kylie and I love TV. If you feel the same, keep listening and or checking out our website, couchpotatoesunite.wordpress.com as you're bound to find some common ground or something you like for it, Couch Potatoes Unite. We're all about the wonders and the unique long-form storytelling of the small screen. CPU! Exclamation point. Hope you've been following releases of brand new episodes of the podcast on Wednesdays as well as new blog entries on some Tuesdays. And as always, we have several more new episodes on the way. Because the panel and I live lives behind our podcast, the episodes are published once per week. Subscribe to the website or podcast via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon Music. Basically, wherever you get your podcasts to stay on top of brand new episodes. Episodes already published discuss a variety of shows around the water cooler, including, but not limited to, Stranger Things, iZombie, The Good Place, Game of Thrones, Grace and Frankie, Mr. Robot, Altered Carbon, The Orville, Outlander, Westworld, Fuller House, Shits Creek and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Plus, new episodes are in the works, including revisits for Doctor Who, The Hundred, The Crown, Supernatural, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, This Is Us, Charmed, Riverdale, the American Horror Story franchise series panel, new name, we'll talk about season one of American Horror Stories, the DC2 series will talk season four of Black Lightning, the Breaking Better series panel will discuss seasons three through four of Better Call Saul, and the Star Trek 50 Plus series will discuss season one of Deep Space Nine. We'll be launching new panels covering Big Little Lies, Call the Midwife, The Animaniacs, Killing Eve, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, American Gods, Grey's Anatomy, Cobra Kai, Peaky Blinders, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, A Discovery of Witches, and The Hauntings of Hill House and Bly Manor. And because we look back at shows now past, we'll travel through time and experience all sorts of identities with Quantum Leap. We'll thank the Golden Girls for being friends. We'll cry bazinga for Big Bang Theory. We'll dive deep into the fantasy world of the magicians. We'll navigate the witty political satire of Parks and Recreation. We'll become psychos for psych. We'll go where everybody knows your name with cheers. We hope you'll be listening when we talk about Frasier. And we'll know that's what she said when we talk about The Office, both from the UK and the USA. By the way, did you know that CPU also from time to time goes live? We've been live from Munkers, comedy shows, comic cons, game stores. Plus, we're planning more live appearances and other cool stuff, including in whatever we're calling these times. So make sure you like or follow us at our Facebook page, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, or subscribe to the website 
website, YouTube channel, Apple iTunes channel, Stitcher Radio channel, or find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. In the meantime, if you don't hear a show in this podcast format, fellow panelists and I still write reviews, and we always seek new panelists. So if you have any interest in joining the discussion, say hello by finding us at any of the outlets I've mentioned. At the very least, stop by and leave us a thumbs up, comment, or review. We like feedback, though if you must be hoity-toity about it, like Charles Emerson Winchester III, prepare for the feedback about the feedback. We can have a civilized conversation even when civilization has left the swamp. Tonight's episode is a rerun of sorts. We are publishing widely one of our bonus content episodes produced for our Patreon, which we decided to unlaunch for the time being. Hey, we're a small operation, a garage podcast, if you will, just pursuing the passion of podcasting and appreciating the long-form storytelling of the small screen. That's what we do. But we loved this bonus episode so much, we decided to make it more widely available. Our MASH retrospective panel completed its run in April 2021, but the panelists comprising the panel were all of a certain age and a certain generational accessibility to the primary run of MASH. We also had quite a bit of interest in this panel to start, and so we thought, while thinking through different features for our Patreon, what would it be like to have generationally appropriate panelists, all of whom caught at least some of the primary run of the show, reflect not only on the series itself, but on the legacy it has managed to create and how it has managed to resonate with future generations who continue to find MASH and love it. To that end, the moderator of the original retrospective panel, one of our moderating team and our second most involved panelist, that is Nick, and I, the Chief CP, co-moderate this discussion featuring three panelists who have been on the podcast before from time to time, and one brand new panelist discussing the greatness and endurance of the legacy of one of the most critically acclaimed and popularly beloved television series, of all time. Since we've completed and published the full retrospective, you can refer to those episodes and sources on the interwebs for plot and or episode summaries. But for now, and as always, it should be noted that all of our panelists have watched much of MASH and will, let's face it, discuss highly sensitive plot points, sight gags, jokes, and other moments best enjoyed upon a first watch. So for those of you who are not caught up on MASH, listen at your own risk, as there are going to be major spoilers. And now, for our episode... The Legacy of MASH. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Welcome, Patreon subscribers, to our MASH Legacy panel. We're calling this Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, our MASH, the Legacy of MASH panel. And what we have done is invited new panelists. So you've been hearing all along some panelists, but the secret is they're all kind of like millennial types and so we wanted to talk to people who were not maybe millennial types which is no inference on any status that you might have it's just we were thinking that it might be fun to talk to people who actually remember watching mesh when it was on and not on say nick at night okay so (laughs) a kind way to say we're old i'm trying to dance around that okay (laughs) Hey, I'm a boomer. I'm proud of it. There we go. Own it. Yes, my name is Kylie. If you don't recognize the voice, Chief Couch Potato and co-moderator for our bonus panel. And with me is our MASH panel moderator who should probably introduce himself. Yeah, I'm Nick. MASH has been one of my favorite shows for so long, so I was not around when it currently aired. So I'm really excited to hear a lot of your perspectives. All right. 
And what we're going to do now is introduce our MASH Legacy Patreon panel. And I guess it would be easiest to let whoever wants to go first tell us <laughs> your first name. Whatever your first name is, don't give us your last name. We like to go, you know, kind of Madonna-like in our, in our Couch Potatoes panels. <laughs> so tell us your first name. And then talk about how you came to watch and like and love MASH or wherever it is for you. We'll just go from there. Who I wants to go first? first. Go, Cheryl. Why don't you go first, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to say ladies first, but okay, that works anyway. Yes, my name is Jason. I am a masher uh, through and through. I started watching MASH kind of as a mixed, uh, watching it when they would show uh, repeats uh, in the afternoon and when it would originally air on Monday nights. I think I started watching the repeats after school first and then kind of realized what a great show it was and then tried to catch up on the new episodes. And, you know, it was kind of a mixture of both things. Back in the day when there were, there were only like four television channels to watch, Sometimes you didn't have, yeah, three. I was lucky. I had four. We had ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, and Channel 41, Battle Creek. If you moved your antenna correctly, you got that one. Uh, back in the days when you had to mess with the, the ears on the TV, MASH was just one of those shows that I connected with. I thought it was funny. I thought it was meaningful. I thought I had a lot to say. So, Well, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I, I love it. Does that mean I go next? You go next, Cheryl. <laughs> well, you were fighting for it. You might as well. I know. <laughs> it out well the show actually premiered two days before my sixth birthday so i don't really remember watching the first few episodes like i know i did because i remember watching it with my dad which is one of the reasons i came to love it but you know i was quite young then so but it's kind of like the show is i mean i remember where i was when the final episode aired and so like the whole I grew up with it. I mean, from being six to 16, you know, from when the show started and when it went off, I just, it was a big part of my life. And I, I remember exactly where I was when the final episode aired. So it's just, I always thought it, I loved the show. You know, it just was so, had so much of humanity to it. I mean, it had the comedy and the humor, but it also brought a lot of meaning and poignancy to and brought things to you know as a as a kid I remember thinking you know just enjoying the comedy of it but and, and then as I got older and the show got more serious it was like okay how much of this am I into but then as an adult and watching the reruns and I really grew an appreciation for it and just love it well welcome Cheryl Cheryl you've actually been on one of our panels before way back in the day do you remember I do I think it was once upon a time no, it was actually forever. Forever. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I wanted to do Once Upon a Time because I love that one too. <laughs> uh, that one got full and they got very bonded. But that's a whole other podcast that we did. <laughs> so. yep, I was there. All right. Welcome back, Cheryl. Thanks. Uh, I'll go ahead and go. So my name is Stacy. I was Stacey. 10 when the show began and it was on for 11 seasons. So I was 21 when the time came and kind of talking what Jason did is it was, you know, the big difference I think between people watching it now and people back then is there was no reruns until 1976. So the first four seasons, there were no reruns. So if you didn't watch it on Monday night, it could be years or months before you ever saw what happened. So it was really an event. And so I think that's one of the most interesting thing is finding all the young people who love it now. And it's great. But having that special feeling of Monday nights, man, 
this was MASH and, and you were there. So uh, same way my parents enjoyed it. I liked watching it with them and didn't appreciate it as much when I was younger. Same way as Cheryl, when I was, you know, in my teens and others, it was like, yeah, it was really fun. I kind of like it. But when my husband and I watch the reruns now, because he's a big fan too, we just start, keep going, oh my gosh, I love that episode. Or I love that episode. Or wasn't that just the best? It's very fun when you have younger people who start loving a show as much as you did too. And same as Cheryl, that last episode, man, you knew where you were at. When that happened, it's kind of one of those monumental moments, TV moments, monumental TV moments in your life. Well, welcome, St- Stacy. You're on one of our other panels, too, that's kind of been, well, it came back for a minute in the fall because we were late reviewing a movie. Which panel was that, Stacy? I had the pleasure of being with Downton Abbey. Another one of my big loves and another one that I told my husband and my son when it was on at nine o'clock on Sundays, you did not talk to mom <laughs> till it was done. Don't come in and interrupt me because there's no commercials on PBS. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Stacy. Thanks, Kylie. I'll, I'll go next just because it, 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 there's been a common thing here, which is the fact that our panelists remember where they were and, and what it was like watching that final episode of MASH, uh, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. I have a rather unique story of, uh, oh, my name is Todd, by the way. Hi, Todd, by the <laughs> way. How are you? Hello. And I'm, I'm thrilled to get to be here to talk about what is probably the, the single most influential TV show I have ever seen uh, in my entire life. This show paved the way for my tastes in drama, my tastes in comedy, my tastes in the ability to balance those two things, which I'm sure we will be talking about throughout today. But for me, unlike most people, my story, the beginning of my story begins at the end. The very first episode of MASH I ever saw was Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. Oh, no. (laughs) I was introduced to the show being forced to watch the final episode of MASH. And here's why. I'll just give the very, very quick story behind this. My parents at the time, this would have been 1983, they were going on their first major vacation somewhere. They were going to Hawaii, which was huge. But the one thing they were so bummed about, they were huge MASH fans. And they were going to miss the final episode. And they weren't sure where they were going to be in Hawaii and whether they'd be able to get the TV on. You know, they So they didn't want to take any chances. We happened to have this new little piece of technology called a VCR in our home. However, it was so new, this technology, that at that time, and some of you may remember this, you had to watch whatever you were recording on the VCR. These were the early VCRs where you couldn't record one thing and watch something else. So they asked me uh, when they were leaving, they said, will you do us a big favor? Just please take care of your sister. No, no, that was number two. Number one, we have two things to ask you. Number two was take care of your sister. Number one was, will you please be sure to videotape the final episode of MASH for us? And I said, uh, okay. And, uh, because, you know, I liked watching TV at night and just to kind of unwind. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do it. So, you know, I figured originally I would just put it on and then I would just kind of go do something else. But I, so I sat down that night. I had everything ready to go because I'm a good son. (laughs) And uh, I was ready to record it. And I sat down and I thought, you know, okay, I'll just, you know, start watching it to make sure everything's recording well and everything's going well. And I sat down, I started watching it. And what, two hours, I don't remember how long it was with the commercials, but I'm guessing two, two and a half hours later, I am bawling on the floor of my house. 
Now, I didn't know any of these characters, mind you. I didn't know Hawkeye. I didn't, I had never seen the movie. I was a little too young to have watched the film version. And I was so invested in these characters that I didn't know yet. So from that point on, after watching that final episode, I was a MASH addict. And I watched on Channel 41, WOTV, every night they would air for many years, two episodes of MASH back-to-back at 11 o'clock at night. And I would stay up every night with a black and white small TV in my room next to my bed. And everyone would think I'm asleep. And I would pull that out and I'd plug it in and I'd watch two episodes of MASH every single night until I had seen every episode probably five times. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome back, Todd, because Todd is currently on one of our active panels. Which panel is that, Todd? I am a proud member of the Crown panel, (laughs) which uh, another show I absolutely adore. We've gotten to talk about that. Uh, It's We're in this incredible renaissance of television, and I feel like MASH was a big part of the start of television becoming true, the the, the boundaries just being pulled aside. Things didn't have to be a drama or a comedy anymore. They could be this great blend, and there were other shows that did that to varying degrees, but I know we're going to be talking about the shifts that MASH made throughout the years, and that's one of the things I love the most about it and one of my favorite things to talk about. All right. Well, welcome to everybody. I'm going to punt this one over now to Nick. Nick was our moderator, like I said, on the main panel. So I'm going to give him a chance to ask some of the questions to gain some of those perspectives we were talking about earlier. We'll definitely hit on the finale in a larger way as well. But I think we want to kind of talk about those higher points with a new panel. Take it away, Nick. Yeah, one of my favorite things about this show is that it walked that line of that dramedy. And I was wondering how much back then, because when I was growing up, I had shows that were doing that because of MASH. How much did this really strike a chord for people as you were watching it, as it took those big dramatic swings and mixed them in with those comedic moments? And just tell me a little bit about how you felt when you were watching episodes that did that, that swung both ways. Because I saw the final, the last episode first, I feel like I had a very different journey through MASH than most people did who started with the trap. I call them the trapper years versus the BJ years. That's, that's where they, there's really a big shift for me, you know, or it could be the Frank versus Charles (laughs) years. I started with an episode that has some of the most amazing drama of the entire series baked right into it. And that, I think for me, I'm really glad personally, that that's what I saw because I think I found even more of the dramatic nuggets that were in those first few seasons where maybe it was a little more comedy heavy. The moments of drama that did happen, which there still were a good deal of, really played to me because that's, I think, what I fell in love with first with that final episode. Loving the characters so much and those characters being so real that even when they were a little bit heightened, like maybe a Frank Burns, you know, that was maybe a little on the more heightened scale. Actually, all of them really were in the in the first, you know, four seasons, three seasons or so. I already knew them as these characters I fell in love with as the drama had become more of a part of it. So for me, that is my favorite thing I think about that series is that balance of comma, dramedy, but all based through real characters that you love. Well, I think what's interesting about this show is the fact that the movie came out first. So the movie really set up that whole comedy drama scenario and the TV show just took it a little bit further. So I think the fact that MASH the movie was successful, people wanted that. And so they saw that there was a taste of it. I think that's where people said, well, let's see if the show is the same. 
And they found, and it, they kept fine tuning it and got better and better and better, obviously, as it went on and on. But I think they really had an audience that was ready for that show when it came out because they had seen the movie. I mean, I can't look at Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould without thinking of that movie, to be honest with you, because they were just so different. And some of the things I've read about the show as they we were coming out of or towards the end of Vietnam, it was just people felt they needed a little bit of that irrelevance that they had with the show and the movie, but felt like they were there as well and stuff. Because there is a lot of it. If you've never been personally touched by war, I think there were some pieces that you're like, holy cow, that's just, yeah, it's not good. Totally different from a Saving Private Ryan or, you know, Platoon or all of the intense ones. Uh, As Todd said, it's that right balance of, yes, it gives you real life, but it also gives you some humor that goes with it, too. Yeah, I absolutely. I agree with that. I think that's one of the great things about the show is the balancing act it's able to do. Now, Todd said pre-BJ, post-BJ, I'll use Henry, which is the same thing because the characters changed after Henry Blake left. But what's interesting to me is that when I was growing up with the show and as a teenager, I actually loved the dramatic episodes more than the original episodes. I was really into the concept of how they were showing this war and the effect it had on all of them. And the way that they would communicate that through the different episodes that they do, and and like Todd said, the barriers they stretch on that show. What's interesting now is as I've gotten older, I've kind of learned to appreciate the early episodes more than I did when I was younger, just for the pure humor and the enjoyment of it. There is an episode where they're trying to find the stolen goods, and Henry looks at the stove and says, what's in here? And they say, soot, sir, and he pours it down. The laughter after that soot hits his face from Wayne Rogers and Alan Alda is so genuine and so wonderful. I'll still laugh for five minutes just listening to them laugh. I think that's what's kind of great about the show is that they had the humor. They didn't want a laugh track. They wanted it to be serious. But the network wouldn't let a a half-hour comedy series had to have a, a laugh track. So they kind of compromised. They'd have laugh tracks during the comedic moments, but in the surgery, in the surgical rooms, they would dim it down. They wouldn't have that laugh track. And I think they were constantly trying to battle with that balance. And that episode, that the farewell episode to Henry, where they chose to, spoiler alert, kill a beloved character of the show, which infuriated people. But how else would you be able to express the horrors of war where suddenly, very suddenly, this character that you loved is gone, and it never skipped a beat. They brought in Henry Morgan to play Colonel Potter, and another thing that was brilliant about the show, they just kept adding characters without missing a beat, and very few shows got away with it. Cheers maybe a little bit, you know, some other ones, but MASH was able to find that balance between the comedy and the drama that just was really appealing. Well, that episode you were talking about when Henry Blake left, and the... We're in spoiler land, right? We can we're we're spoiling everything. Okay, yeah, show one in eighty three, Donna. They haven't seen by now. If you have not watched Mash yet, okay, you don't deserve to complain about spoilers. When we find out at the end of that episode, with the performers, with the actors, by the way, yeah, Henry Blake's character didn't make it home. I what I love so much about that moment is it says that he survived the war and it was on the way home right. on a commercial flight that he died. 
and the irony of that and the reality of that. My father has a good friend that he grew up with, lived uh, next to in Colorado that uh, fought in the Vietnam War. He was a helicopter pilot in the Vietnam War, survived two tours in Vietnam, came home, started a helicopter pilot business where he would just take people for scenic rides. And he passed away in a helicopter crash mm. as a civilian helicopter pilot. And that, just the irony of that, and that's so real. But the other thing, Stampy, that you brought up was that changing of the guard, the changing of the characters. And each time that they did that, to me personally, the characters got more interesting when they made the shifts because they didn't try to replace the character that left. Yeah. When Trapper left, they didn't try to get a new Trapper. They brought in BJ. When Blake right. left, they didn't. They brought in somebody so different and so wonderful in a completely different way. And of course, when Frank Burns left, they did have to still bring somebody in they could poke fun at, but they bring in Charles Winchester. And I just think every Every time they made a shift like that, they expertly brought in somebody who tipped everything on its head and brought a new energy to it that everyone jumped right in and played with perfectly. I have to agree with you, Todd. That's one of the things that I was thinking about when people ask you like, oh, well, who did you prefer, BJ or Trapper? Or who did you prefer, Blake or Potter? It was it's hard to really choose because they they did do such a great job of making them different. And the characters, I mean, well, the actors, the writing is great and the actors were so good at playing those roles that it's kind of hard to say, oh, I like this one better than that one. And I think sometimes when, I don't want to speak for everybody else, but when I think of maybe what were some of my favorites or which was my favorite, it probably had more to do with whether or not you preferred the humorous ones or the serious ones and less the characters or the actors because they were also great. I have kind of an opposite re- uh, experience than you and Jason did as far as learn. I learned to appreciate the dramatic ones later as an adult um, because I did start watching it when I was younger, when it was funny. And that's what I knew it as. And I think I probably missed a few episodes in between and watched them later. So then when I did see the final episode is like, this is not what I knew it to be. Not to mention the fact that I was 16 and going through a difficult time in my life because I was transplanted from California to Grand Rapids. I bound them because my parents were getting a divorce. So drama is not really what I want to look at right now. But then to look at it later, and especially as an actor, to appreciate the arc of both the stories and the characters, it, it was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, I learned to appreciate how they could also bring out the humor, but also bring out the realities of the show. I mean, a lot of the show, some of the show went on during the war itself, and they had to walk that fine line between commenting on it, but not protesting it. <laughs> That's my take. When you ask about which character you like, which it's almost a Ginger and Marianne scenario. Right. <laughs> you know, which way do you like? But I'll be honest, I will take Charles Winchester over Frank Burns a bazillion times. <laughs> I just found his character, Frank for me was just too whiny. Yeah. And I found Charles just to be. Well, Charles. And you knew his heart was there, but oh he my He had gosh. that incredible depth that they never really yeah. gave to Frank. Yeah. Frank was just always the buffoon butt of the jokes with a few very slight moments that we, but with Charles, you got these incredible moments of his relationship with his sister and yeah. uh, his love for music and his passion for it. And he wasn't the buffoon, but he was easy enough to pick on because he took himself so seriously. And right. I, between those two, I think those are the two easiest ones for me to say, yeah, if I had to pick one, 
I'm going to have to pick Charles because I felt more invested in him as a character. I still think the way they picked on Frank was more fun overall. Oh yeah. Now, now, now I'm going to start the first fight of the evening. I'm going to disagree. Oh. Um, not nothing against David Ogden Stiers and Charles Emerson Winchester. I love that character. I'm so like Todd said, I'm so glad that they did that. But I want to tell you, looking back on this show now as an adult, as an adult actor, MVP to me for this show, I think goes to Larry Linville and what he did with that character. Think about this. You have to play the most unlikable character ever on a television show. Frank rarely had a redeeming quality to him. He was always the butt of the jokes. And, and I think Larry Linville did that so well. He was so good in that role to be the fall guy. But his character was doomed as soon as Margaret got married because he couldn't do anything else with him. I think they had to replace him. And, and to Larry Linville's benefit, he saw the writing on the wall. He saw that his character just wasn't going to be able to fit in the world that Alan Alda and the rest of them were trying to create, I think, within the direction the show was going. But as far as the humor of the show and the slapstick of the show and what he was able to pull off in that character, I think he was brilliant. I think it was really underappreciated. Again, nothing against David Augenstyers. I, I, I love that character too but i just i love larry linville on that part I that's do. right you can be you can be team frank i'll be team charles that's all right <laughs> there you go. i'll make the t-shirts there we go <laughs> one other interesting piece that they when we were talking about the show taking off and it just dawned on me the whole clinger with the dress piece was almost pulling in a little bit of the milton burl oh yeah so you were drawing in some of that even older viewership who were used to that kind of comedy. And so there was another tie-in for them as well. And again, uh, as I said, yeah, speaking to the uh, the era that the show came on, that character originally was supposed to be gay. I mean, that was supposed to be a gay character. And of course, CBS wouldn't let them touch that. And they actually had an, have an episode where Sidney Friedman comes in and tells Klinger, we'll, we'll sign this sheet and you'll go home and you'll spend the rest of your life as a noted homosexual. And he says, I'm just crazy. I'm not, you know, and... I think it's really interesting what they did and how that character grew in the show where he was so desperate to get out of the army and he would wear all these you know wacky outfits and do all these crazy things. And then later on, it became more about kind of the crazy things. And then they, he kind of had to take over for Radar when Radar left. So I think it was an interesting progression of that character. Adding to that progression, I mean, the whole time he was wearing those dresses, his ultimate goal was, I want to go home, send me home, think I'm crazy and send me home. And then at the end, he's the one who stays. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Their their use of irony throughout, when you earn 11 years of character development, you can do such incredible things. And the irony of Blake's death, the irony of the one that stays behind is the one that spent the most time trying to get away and does it by his choice out of love and is just, they did such a miraculous job. And and I don't want to steer the conversation away from whatever direction it might be going, but I have to bring up what I feel is the two major creative driving forces in that show that bring up the two different eras of MASH for me, which are Larry Gelbart for the first half and Alan Alda for the second half. Now, Alan Alda was obviously there the whole time, but he really became him and uh, Burt Metcalf, I think, became the real driving force in the latter years. But it, but Larry Gelbart, who is a an absolute genius to me and is responsible for my single favorite comedy film of all time, which is the movie Tootsie. I think that movie is absolutely brilliant. It's a product of its time. It's definitely a product of the beginning of the 80s. So there's a few character things in there. But to this day, I laugh out loud every time I see it. And then what he did with MASH and developing this for television and seeing what Robert Altman did with the film version 
And what I think in the film version, I think is a wonderful thing that stands on its own. But for me, I watched that movie way too late. I was too invested in what the television show had become. So the movie version will never be the true mash to me. It will always be the TV show that Larry Gelbart first really spearheaded. And then later when Alan Alda came on and, and really took more of the creative duties over and realized the drama that they had built in these characters and the degrees to which they could push those levels and take these to whole new areas, uh, culminating for me in one of my favorite moments is the scene that he and uh, Hot Lips Houlihan share together that culminates at the end with them kissing each other, where they're evading the enemies that have surrounded them. And it's just such a brilliant episode that couldn't have existed in the first four seasons or five seasons even of that show, but they had earned the ability to tell stories like that or the the one where he's, uh, Alan Alda, where Hawkeye is on his own with the Korean family and none of them speak English and he doesn't speak Korean and he has this entire episode that is one giant monologue for the most part. They earned the ability to do that by having the show last, what was it, five, six years longer than the actual war that it was referencing. So an interesting take on the fact that you said there was a shift between when Alan Alda started directing, that's when the author of the original book that all this was based on felt the show was moving away from his Mm -hmm. book and Mm -hmm. couldn't watch it anymore because he just said, now it's starting to be political. And that wasn't what I had intended when I wrote all of this. So there was that shift. And as an audience, we loved it and probably liked that piece. But it's interesting that the real Hawkeye Uh, felt that that's when it moved away from what he um, had intended with his story. Well, one last real quick thing, because that's a great point in that Jason and I have a friend, a mutual friend, Eric, who is a major MASH fan. And he and I have talked about this before. He is a much bigger fan of the early episodes, the early seasons, the comedic seasons, the less political seasons, potentially. Whereas I am a bit more of a fan because of my introduction to the show with the latter episodes. And it really is two different series kind of rolled into one, but it never feels like it's grinding the gears. It feels these are still the same people. It's miraculous. It's one of those things that I don't think any shows have ever pulled off or probably ever could. It's interesting that the original author and even Todd kind of echoing that here says the first three seasons aren't as political. I watched MASH fully in advance of this podcast. I mean, I'd seen it all my whole life. My parents watched it. But it seems like the first three seasons, even though they are more comedic by design, are satirizing the Vietnam War because they're parallel to that war. And then it just becomes more of a commentary as the Mm -hmm. show goes on. So political, I don't know if that's the right word. You can, you know, disagree with me, but it just, I felt like it was all political. It just had a different shift in tone. It is interesting that when when the political is comedy, it, it, it maybe feel, for me, maybe feels a little bit less political, but you're absolutely right. It was political from the get-go, as the film was. Absolutely. I mean, Hawkeye's character is a very clear political reference to what's happening around him through that whole show. That's a great point. I think they tried to not be, but especially as the series went on, they definitely got more so and more blatant about it, for lack of a better word. (laughs) Sure. So I know we've, we've gone Team Frank and Team Charles, we equivocated on the other pairings, though, although Todd sort of stated his, I, I might like the latter years more, so in the in the Potter and BJ years. What if we, we, we did make you choose one? 
<laughs> I have an interesting because I preferred Frank, but as a colonel, I liked Potter, and mm. he was definitely more serious. So I I agree with that, Cheryl. I I really enjoyed Harry Morgan as Potter again because of the shift of tone and the, the way the show went. Potter became definitely more of a father figure, a more of a commander um, than than Henry was. Henry Henry was more one of the gang. And one of them, I think I do sometimes think you're kind of choosing apples and oranges, like, oh, who did you like better? But uh, I mean, I, I definitely was a Potter guy. And I, and I have to say, I'm, I'm more of a, a BJ guy, really, than a Trapper guy. And I think that's because the hard part about Trapper was I always felt like that character was competing with Hawkeye in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, in a strange way for like the, the comedy of the show. And, yeah. the, and I think BJ was more of the friend, more of the the compatriot and the fact that they made him married and a devoted husband. Mm-hmm. Whereas Trapper, of course, was cheated with all the nurses along with Hawkeye that it was, it was a different, different, someone different for Hawkeye to play off of. It was, he was almost Hawkeye's kind of moral. I want to say his moral conscience, but his straight laced white bread friend, you know, and uh, I, I always thought that was kind of an interesting choice to pair with Hawkeye rather than just have it be another wacky guy that, you know, pal around with. I think some of that came about because originally, you know, if you read the book and movie, Trapper originally was the chief surgeon. So as the series started, I think they were supposed to be more on equal terms or if not reversed. So a nice switch um, when they changed. Well, I think what I love so much about the shift from Trapper to BJ is what that did to Alan Alda's Hawkeye. I, 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 I don't know this. I could be completely wrong. But I feel like the introduction of the BJ character is what really was the catapulting force to what the final seasons of MASH became. I think that's where Alan Alda really felt it. I think that's where Alan Alda really saw the possibilities for the drama and for expanding the breadth of these characters in so many ways. I just think that you're right. It, It was that difference between, hey, we're frat buddies to being, hey, we're surgeons in a really terrible place and our lives outside of this war, this horrible situation, we probably never would have even met, much less become friends and realize how many things we do have in common. It was just such a magical friendship, the, uh, the likes of which I've never seen matched on television. And I, and I thought it would be really hard to find somebody that I would feel that Hawkeye has a genuine connection with to the degree he did with Trapper and with BJ. It just catapulted it so much further because it wasn't ever hiding under the guise of comedy. The comedy that they had together was in support of all this other stuff. It was never at the expense. And I, I think, too, it's important to note that the actors themselves, I think Rain Rogers and McLean Stevenson, sensed the shift of where that show was going. I think it quickly became, oh, this is a funny ensemble piece to, oh, this is becoming Alan Alda's show. Mm-hmm. I mean, he obviously became the breakout star. He was directing and writing a lot of the episodes. I think they kind of noted that shift and kind of thought, you know, maybe it's our time to leave because it's not going to be our show. You know, them as stars, I, sh- I should say. I think both of those actors kind of thought of themselves as, you know, on the same level as Alan Alda until the show really started taking off and Alan Alda kind of became the show, like you said. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I think from what I understand, that was a big reason for him leaving because initially, and especially if you do read the book and look at the original movie, and when they were supposed to be more on equal terms, I think as an actor and as a character, he thought he would be on equal terms with Alan Alda and it clearly took off to be more on the Alan team, team Alan Alda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I believe there is a, a McLean Stevenson quote that uses the phrase, it was becoming the Alan Alda show. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that he literally said that to Loretta Sweat. Now don't quote me on that. I read that online. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) And that's gotta be rough. That's gotta be rough when it was meant to be an ensemble. It was always meant to be an ensemble. However, as a writer on a massive TV show, that has to be rough because focus, you do need to find those moments of where do we focus and who are we focusing on and what character might be the one that we're wanting the audience to be viewing this world through the most? That was never going to be Frank. That was really never going to be Trapper. You know, it really wasn't. If it was going to be anyone, it was probably going to be Hawkeye. And so I think it naturally kind of went in the direction, but certainly with Alan Alda becoming more of a driving force behind the creativity behind the camera and behind the pen, that was also probably pretty inevitable because uh, what character would he be more qualified to write than the one he'd been living for so many years and doing such an incredible job with. So yeah, it's, that's, that's rough, but another testament to how well they made it work because for me now I haven't, and full disclosure, I haven't watched mash in over a decade, which is really, really strange for me because I used to watch it all the time. But now if I don't have Hulu, which I don't, it's not streaming anywhere. You can't get it any, and I don't have television anymore. I don't get regular TV. So I just don't have the opportunity to watch it. I'm very curious now to go back and revisit the entire series again and see how I feel about it years later about those latter years versus the the early years and so forth as well. Going back to what you said about the two characters putting guys who would otherwise never have anything to do with each other. But that was such a great depiction of what actually happens in war. You know, people who become best friends never otherwise in real life would never have any, you know, much less get to know each other and become friends. But, you know, and, and, and the arc of, I'm losing my train of thought, but I, I, you said that the transition from when um, Trapper left and when BJ came in, you know, that whole point in the last episode of, yeah, well, Trapper didn't leave me a note either. And then, and then BJ didn't. And then ultimately did. Yeah. (laughs) Best, best, can we just agree? Best book ending of a TV series ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, come on. Oh. Uh, I'm I'm kind of the Bob Newhart, Suzanne pushed that <laughs> at the end of the Newhart show. Oh, Man, that, that sorry. is that is that's classic. classic. That now, is classic. Tug at your heart. Tug at your heart. Ending, Todd. Totally agree with this one. Yeah. But as far as best ending ever, that one still tops it for me. I don't think sure. there's been oh, one yet. That's a good one. That is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Stacey and Cheryl, did you pick a team? Oh, as far as overall or front or back, you know, I, I'm as much as I've loved the whole series, love the end. I'm still at the the beginning pieces for me, just because that's when there were the electricity was there. That was the electricity. It was a hot show. It was electric. It, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And the latter episodes were wonderful. Love the storytelling. Love the character development. But I don't know that we kind of knew them. You knew them and stuff. Where in the first uh, first seasons, it was just you know it was it was all new and it was electric and yeah. yeah I kind of like the the comedic ones, but I think it may go back to like what Todd said in the maybe the order that you've seen them in. Um, I mm-hmm. learned like initially I didn't appreciate the the heavier ones. It's like not not where I wanted to be in my life at that time, you know, now, like I said, as an actor and looking at it as an adult, it's like, whoa, 
what a growth. I mean, and even if someone did initially go into to the a war, you know, hey, I'm a happy, funny guy. This is what happens to you after living this for 10 years, you know? So, I mean, just what a great experience. So I kind of like the team, the, the comedic ones, but are you asking, do you want the comedy, what team comedy, team drama? Or are you asking team Trapper, team Frank? What are we? <laughs> well, that was, ki they're kind of hand in hand, aren't they? Because... <laughs> Because Henry and Trapper are the comedy years. Yeah, but like I said, I like Team Frank, but I like Team Potter. So I'm kind of on the fence. You can't do that, Cheryl. You got to pick a side. Where do you think you live, huh? No, I'm with you, you Cheryl. I'm with you because I love Trapper, but I love Charles. I didn't yep. like Frank and stuff. So, But thank God, who. You know, Loretta Swift was there the whole time. Yeah. Like, well, okay. Alan Alda are the only two that were there from yeah. beginning to end. I think, Cheryl, yeah. you can be seasons four and five, because that's when we still had Frank, but we got Potter. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. I think there was only one episode where they were all in it. Well, the general flipped at dawn was uh, Henry Morgan's actually first appearance on mash he did not play potter he played a, an, an insane colonel who was visiting the camp and it's a hilarious although being a little bit racist towards the end episode um that uh, uh he was he guest starred in and that, that was one of the reasons he got the part he actually won an emmy for guest starring on that role on that uh, in that episode and the, the fascinating thing is is those two characters couldn't have been more different right too. oh yeah. yeah but they saw the potential and i'm guessing they saw some of his uh rapport and and personality behind the scenes that led them to say this could be our potter guys you know yeah yeah it just well and he's going to be a draw from another generation too i mean yeah. people grew up with dragnet right and stuff so there's your draw in to mm -hmm. wanting to watch this show people going oh yeah one of well, my favorite lines ever he delivers in that general flip to dawn is the irish make rotten indian fighters <laughs> <laughs> It wouldn't get by today. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't yeah. get by today, right? <laughs> um, I, I also think Potter brings in, is a good uh, device where we get some of the growth from other characters, like Radar and then even Jamie yeah. Foxx. Finger. Yeah. So kind of pivoting from which character is your favorite, is there a character arc that we got to see as they growed over the, depending on how many seasons they were on, like watching Margaret grow and change or Radar or Klinger. Is there any of those that stand out as a favorite? Ooh, um, I will say watching, God, that's so hard because it, the easy one for me is to say Hawkeye, even though I don't know that he has a major arc, we get to see so many sides of his character. We get to see so much of the compassion, the love, the love for strangers that he has just and yet his ability to keep everybody happy and light whenever possible I, but the the one that immediately popped into my mind was watching radar grow over this series because he just we watched him grow into a man and that was fascinating to watch for me and a large part of that i feel is when he lost one somewhat father figure in henry blake and had to break the news to the rest of the characters that this had happened, and then completely embracing this new father figure in Colonel Potter. I, I just think that was miraculous. So that's the first one that came to my mind. 
Well, I think, and, and maybe I'm the wrong person to speak of this, but I think one of the characters that grew the most was Margaret Houlihan, for sure. I think her character kind of started off as kind of a joke. Oh, she's the head nurse fooling around with Frank. And to watch that character through the years gain her strength and her voice and the pride that she had in be- being a head nurse in the Army and, and leading those women in what they were doing, I think even for the time was very, you know, in the 80s, this 70s, 80s, was very uplifting. There's an episode they did called The Nurses. It's strictly about her relationship with the nurses. And the end of that episode, she gives a great speech about, you know, you never think about my feelings. You think about me as a leader, as a boss, as a, but you never even invited me in for a lousy cup of coffee. And then the way she delivered that line, the hurt in her voice was so real to me. I, I still, when I watch that episode, I get goosebumps because it's a very real performance and i think you know the way her character ended up that she was going to end up being an, you know a nurse which is what she did you know back in the states and, and and probably would leave the army which was her life you know be, but that's who she was and i i have a lot of respect for for that character and the way that they they let it grow they didn't just keep her a joke in a in, in the, the kind of the one one-off one-line things that she did in the first couple of seasons she is truly one of those characters that it's hard for me to picture any other human being playing that role she is Margaret Houlihan. And yeah. you're right, that moment in that nurse's scene or that nurse's episode is magical because we have not gotten to see Margaret be that vulnerable yet. It's that one. And then the one that I brought up earlier of this, the episode. Comrades, her, comrades in arms. Yeah. And, and yeah. Hawkeye together where we see true vulnerability in her that we haven't been able to see. And even through her relationship with Penobscot, you know, was fascinating to watch that arc play itself out. Another great character arc to watch. I think a lot of people agree, would agree with you. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I remember thinking, oh, you know, her career, she's got it made. And then I don't remember seeing her in a whole lot after that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about not not wanting to get typecast. It's like, you know, oh, I did such a great job of this. Now what? <laughs> and sadly, I think that's a, te- I think that's a uh, comment on Hollywood more than anything else. Because I think if she were to have had that character and been playing that character over the last five to 10 years of her life now, she would be starring in shows like Damages. She'd be starring in shows like House of Cards, where, you know, women who are older than 45 in Hollywood back then probably didn't get near. I think we're seeing a lot more opportunities, rightfully so, for actresses of all ages to be working in Hollywood now. I think she'd be getting a lot more attention today. I hope you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So do we want to, do you have any other major points to cover, Nick, or do we want to start talking about the series finale? I think we can move on to the series finale because you guys have all touched on a lot of things that I would have asked or very organically. <laughs> Actually, I I would like to kind of know what everyone's, other than the finale, what everyone's favorite episode was. Oh, that is hard. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bring, I'm going to say this one, even though Todd's already brought it up and I, and I, I, I can't necessarily say it's my favorite episode, but it's the one I would probably remember the most, and that's the episode that's called Hawkeye, where he is—he uh, has an accident with a jeep, and he spends an afternoon with a Korean family. And the entire episode, like Todd said, is one long monologue. And the reason I bring that up is that, again, as an actor, I remember watching that episode even in my young age, and I must have probably been about 10, 11 when I saw it the first time, seeing that episode and knowing how special that was. That one character spent the entire time expressing the story and doing these wonderful 
you know, stories that he would tell about being in medical school and juggling bit that he does. And I think I fell in love with acting a bit at that point. I kind of felt like I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to command people's attention for half an hour and let them, you know, watch me and tell a story. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think on a personal level, it's probably one of my favorite episodes. But to pick an absolute favorite, kind of like asking me to pick my favorite child. I've got a bunch of them, but uh, I'll let other people answer. And I'll Wait, you have, have, a, you have a bunch of children, Stan? <laughs> what? What? Huh? You have a bunch of children? But you're like asking to pick your favorite children. I don't have any children. Well, none that you know of or that I know of. <laughs> Part of the reason I ask is there's one episode that has always stuck with me, and it's actually called um, Hawk's Nightmare. Oh, yeah. It was in 1976 when he is sleepwalking. Yes. He is sleepwalking and he's back in Apple, Crab Apple Cove. Cove. Yes. And I went and looked at it because this line I'll never forget. And so Sydney is there talking with him. And so he says, when Hawkeye asks if he's crazy, Sydney scoffs, actually, Hawkeye, you're probably the sanest person I've ever known. The fact is, if you were crazy, you'd sleep like a baby. Yeah. And that really was so impactful because it was like, here they are in this madness. I mean, people dying and you're trying to save them. Probably what a lot of the medical frontline workers are feeling right now with the coronavirus. Yeah. I mean, people just dying. You're trying absolutely everything and you cannot save them. And to at one point in time wonder, my coping mechanism, which was sleepwalking, am I crazy? And I loved that Sydney said, no, yeah. you know, wish- this is your coping mechanism. And yeah, that one just always stood out to me with that. I can't even imagine the mental fatigue what people go through in that situation. As I said, probably those that are dealing with people in ICU at coronaviruses are experiencing what surgeons would in war at this point in time. Because basically, you're desperately trying to save people that you might not be able to. Which brings up my one of my favorite lines from the entire series. I don't even remember exactly <laughs> which uh, episode it was from. It's very possible... No, I don't think it is. It's I don't think it's from the one of my other favorite episodes that I'll bring up if we have time. But one of my favorite lines from the entire series that I'll never forget, I, and it's what you just said that people uh, in ICUs right now are probably feeling. And one of the characters, I don't remember even which character says this to Hawkeye, but he says, rule number one. Oh, I think it's Blake. It is. It's Blake. Blake yeah. Rule it's number one of war, young people die. Rule number two, doctors can't change rule number one. It's uh, that comes from one of the first serious episodes. Sometimes you hear the bullet. That is the one. That's the episode I was going to bring up. Where a friend of Hawkeye's uh, ends up dying on the operating table. And Hawkeye, for the first time, can't make a joke out of it. Colonel Blake says, says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, I, you know, I see young boys die every day. I I never cried for them. Why do I cry for my friend? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great episode. Yeah, that was the episode I was thinking of. So I, I thought that was probably from that episode. But when I think of favorite episodes, the finale will always have a very special place in my heart for a lot of reasons. Because it's your first you love, Todd. It's your first love. It's, it's my first love. You, 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 can't, love. you never forget your first love. That's right. So, I think Cheryl? we're ready, Nick. Final Cheryl. episode. No, Cheryl, we didn't hear Cheryl's. <laughs> oh, Cheryl, yeah. Pick one. <laughs> I'm such. I'm just one of those people who's on the middle of the fence, and there are just so many great ones. And I mean, to think of 
some funny ones. And uh, when George went, had the cue ball in his mouth, yeah. uh, which actually people are like, how do you do that? It was, it's like, it was a rubber ball. <laughs> how many college kids tried to do that? <laughs> right. I will say this. When I first saw it, and still to this day, the episode Dreams, where they all have nightmares. Oh, you know, yeah. That episode scared the living hell out of me. The imagery in that that episode, it, where they're all just having just different dreams and nightmares. Oh man, that yeah, that was a very gutsy episode yeah, to do. That sure. they really pushed the boundaries with that one. You know what's fun too? Watching it being older is you see all of a sudden you'll be like, oh my gosh, there's Ron Howard. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrick like, Swayze. Oh, yeah. You know, we were just yeah, talking about you know, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, you knew at that point in time, but you go back now and watch it's like, oh my gosh, we do that with Gunsmoke all the time. When we watch the reruns, it's like, holy cow, they're yeah. so-and-so. I've been watching yeah. the original. My husband gave me the full series of The Twilight Zone for my birthday. And so it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I, oh wow. I forgot he was in that. I mean, you remember like the classic episodes, but then to watch them all. And it's like, oh, man, I forgot they were in that. An- another series I have seen every episode in. I had the episode guide and I checked them off as I got to see them. So I've seen every episode of The Twilight Zone, too, so. Twilight Zone panel, Stampy's on. <laughs> and Cheryl. Cheryl yeah. <laughs> All right, it does sound like we're ready to talk about the final episode. We've already, it's come up a couple of times. I um, hated it. Hated it. Uh, <laughs> terrible. Um, did any of you, I think, Todd, you did watch it when it first aired. Did did any of the, the rest of the panel watch it as it was airing the first time? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was an event. It was an mm-hmm. event show. Yep. I, and I don't know if we can even compare it to anything anymore because we have so many choices on TV to watch. But again, back in the day, and this was 83, so cable television was sneaking in there. But we're talking 10 channels at the most, if you were lucky. But this was this was the show to watch. I mean, everyone talked about it in school. Everybody, you know, oh, what are you doing tonight? I'm watching the last episode of MASH. I remember we made popcorn and sat down in front of the television set. I mean, 77% of the people watching television that night were watching that episode. That couldn't happen now. I don't think, I don't know how you would even duplicate that now. It was, it was an event. It truly was. Yeah. For a, for a TV series, I'm going to go out there and let me say there's no, that's never going to be beaten. You know, there might be a sporting event, a news event, uh, you know, we, we go to Mars, you know, something. Okay. Yeah. That might be the number of viewers we had for the finale of MASH. But I don't think it'll ever be a series. I mean, Seinfeld got close. Seinfeld tried, and it didn't. It You're didn't. right, Tad. The only thing that did surpass it was Super Bowl, I think, 44 in viewership. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was at my last year of my sorority. So as mm. Stampy said, it was an event. Yeah. And stuff. two big events at our house. That was one. The other one was when Michael Jackson's Thriller came out. Oh, yeah. And we sat around and watched that one. Yeah. Now, that was a big thing. We all came home from class so we could see it. But, yeah, it was a big event. And all the sorority girls were sitting around this great couch we had called the pickle. And we watched it together. What were some of your favorite moments from the finale? Which characters had the, your least favorite um, chaos? Uh, I will, as long as I live, I will never, I will never forget. Again, I'm watching this in 83. I would have been 14 years old. Never watched this show before, never knew, didn't know anything about it except it took place during the war and, you know, whatever. And I'm sitting and I'm watching this, that, the stuff with the chicken in the bus with, I I can never get that out of my head. I can, I'll never forget it. The revelation of that being her baby. I was, 
I think that was the point. Again, a character we ne- we knew nothing about. With this woman with her baby, but through Alan Alda's performance of this, and then you know, will you sh- keep that chicken quiet? You know, and and Sydney's working with him to get out of him that that was a ba- it's just so incredibly heartbreaking and truly Alan Alda's breakdown at the realization. I, I mean, I'm I'm tearing up thinking about it right now because I can I remember seeing that for the first time and how incredibly raw that was it was yeah so that's the moment that always comes to my mind that well i don't i'm not going to take any from anyone else because someone else might have my second one but that's the big one for me i agree with you but my second one would be when the musicians are killed in the truck and winchester the look in his eye yes the the nice choice he got to say music was always my escape from the war and now it's going to be a reminder which is just a brilliant way of all the soldiers that were going to be coming home, never going to be able to look at some things the same way. I mean, right. these characters were changed by what, what they went through. That's, that's a great. Beautiful. And mine is just the classic that they show all the time with the helicopter coming up and, and you see the message. And I that, get cheered right now thinking about it. <laughs> and that iconic piece of music starts that we've heard yeah. <laughs> start every episode and it has a whole new meaning hearing it for the last time as he's leaving in that chopper. It's just beautiful. Um, what I think truly stands out from this show and the way that they chose to say goodbye with that. I think a lot of other shows fail at, especially long running shows. Remember we grew up with these characters. They were smart enough to let us say goodbye to each and every character. Mm. They gave each character a moment, you know, Klinger got married and leaves at the end and he says good, but he's, they say goodbye to each other. They have a chance to actually say goodbye to each other. The fact that BJ and Hawkeye salute Potter, one of the few uh, um, you know, real salutes that they give, you know, yeah. the kiss between Hawkeye and Margaret, which is funny and touching and they don't say anything other than, well, see ya, you know, after it's done. I mean, was perfect. Emmer, uh, Winchester leaving on the garbage truck with, with uh, Rizzo. I mean, it, just every choice they made, let us say goodbye. Until we've, because we knew it was going to be BJ and Hawkeye were going to end the show. We knew that's going to be. And like Todd said, the way they chose to do that, you know, the way they chose, because BJ couldn't say it. BJ kept saying, I'll see you later. We'll we'll see each other in the States. And I'd like to think that maybe BJ and Hawkeye never do see each other again. I don't know. I mean, maybe they, they don't see each other in the States. But the way they chose to say goodbye in that show gave us a chance to say goodbye. And I think that's what was the brilliance of that final episode was that we got to say goodbye to those characters and, and the show. I think I, re- I had come from California to Michigan. So about that time, just a couple months before. So when we, I was watching it, I try to remember if I knew it before or after I saw it, but the show, the last final episode was only supposed to be an hour and a half. So with commercials, two hours, but they shot a lot of this stuff in Malibu Creek area. And that's not far from where I had lived. So I you know that caught my attention too. And then there was a fire there. So they yes. filmed it and then they added it to the show, which made it actually two and a half hours with commercial breaks. So. Right. That's interesting. When they, they wrote the wildfire into the episode because the set, most of the set got destroyed in the fire. So when they come back after evacuating from that last episode and come back, they were actually coming back to the burnt remains of their set, you know? So it was an interesting kind of on the fly choice that they made to put that in. Also interesting is that some of the, you know, we know that to be the final episode, but it actually wasn't the last one filmed. The one with the time capsule, 
you see the week before that. As time goes by. It actually was filmed after. The magic of Hollywood, you know. (laughs) That was was interesting. It was one of the few shows that it had a final episode and then it had a final movie episode. The final episode with a time capsule, I think, is a great one because they do end up again having a chance to kind of say goodbye without saying goodbye. They put Radar's teddy bear in the time capsule. They put Henry's fishing lure in the mm-hmm. time capsule. They put one of Klinger's dresses in the time capsules, one of Charles Bottle's wine. The things that those characters, a lot of the characters represented in that last episode was good. But then to have a chance to have the movie to say goodbye, I think, was just extra special. Now, was that the first time that any of us know of where a TV series ended itself on a movie format final episode? I think so. I can't really recall, especially a half hour comedy. Right. You know, think about it. I mean, most of the times when they end up, when you end a series, you know, maybe you'll get an hour, maybe you'll get a a two-parter. Definitely for a comedic series. I mean, who shot JR? How long was that one? But that was a drama, you know? Yeah. I think the closest you get is shows that have a story arc built into a season. So it's multiple episodes that are finale, but I can't think of them. The whole last season is written to draw out the finale. (laughs) You know, you know that it's the finale instead of just having two hours be the end of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it is interesting taking, you know, talking about the finale uh, that, Something we had grown up watching in half-hour installments or actually at that time would probably ultimately been about 24, 23 minutes per episode with the commercials in there at that time. To have the confidence to say, we're going to carry two and a half hours and we're not going to lose anybody. Nobody's going to leave. Nobody's going it. I've never talked to a single person that watched that final episode and didn't finish it that night. That's you know, a valid that, point. You know yeah. that- they caused the sewers in New York to go because everybody took a potty break at the same time. The same time, right? <laughs> and there was there was also a major city that had a power outage, and they got so many calls and complaints about trying to get the power back on before the final episode that it like fried their 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 phone system. I mean, there was lots of stories like that. And of course, how much they charged for the commercials back then. If I can make a quick plug, though, when you do watch the show on Hulu now, remember too, back then commercials weren't as long as they were now episodes that you watch on regular television, even on cable or on Nick at night, they cut a lot of the episodes out, a lot of the things of the episode out so they can fit in more commercials watching it on Hulu. They put it all back in and it's really fun to see. Yes. Yes. It's fun to see these episodes without them being chopped up for commercial purposes. Yeah. They did the same thing with the office, I think on Netflix where you caught a lot of things that were not in the episodes when they originally aired and nine times out of 10, that's great stuff that I wish had been able to be in the actual episodes. Bringing up the office. I think that one episode is it the interview or the one, there were two of them that were similar. They had the guy that was Clay Roberts black and white, but they say that that actually paved the way for shows like the office because it is, breaking that fourth wall and talking, you know, a documentary approach. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Go for it. Go for it. So our, our main panel, as I, as I previously alluded to was not alive mostly to watch mash any of its original run. I'm not saying you're any age. I'm saying they're young. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You can say it, Kylie. We're old. It's okay. Hold on a second. I'm losing you guys. I have to change the battery in my hearing aid. Hold on. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to remember this entire conversation when we're done. So I'm not even going to be I, was like, I did what last night? I don't even remember that. 
I'm merely saying that it was surprising to me that our entire panel was younger than me. And so the question for you now is, are you surprised or what is your reaction to the fact that new generations find MASH and love MASH just as much perhaps as the older generations or previous generations? I don't find it surprising at all. When it's great drama, when a show is predicated on creating characters that you love, regardless of whether it's funny or dramatic in a moment, that show is going to find an audience for generations. And I even, you know, using another comedy half hour example, one of the classic comedies of all time, the I Love Lucy show. Mm -hmm. I have friends who have children who are preteens that can recite, that can talk about the candy striper episode of I Love Lucy (laughs) or or can recite Vitamita Vegemin with the best of us. And I was introduced to that show by my grandmother and and my mother. And, you know, so generation after generation. So it doesn't surprise me at all because it was a show that first and foremost was about the characters. And that, I think, is what will draw generations in forever. It's just great storytelling. And that Mm -hmm. stands the test of time. But also the show, even when we watched it in the 70s and 80s, it's you can or some people might say oh the story is dated well it's telling the story of something that happened in the 50s and 60s so you know it still happened before when we were watching it even so it doesn't make any difference to them it's going to affect them the same way that it would affect us i mean the humor is still humor the drama is still drama and it's still great storytelling there is the missing cell phone episode though where where hawkeye pulls out his (laughs) his iphone Yeah, I mean, I think that's what the kids these days are really connecting to when they watch it. <laughs> well, don't, to tie in with that, though, I think they find it fascinating. I think they find it fascinating that there was an era where that stuff happened and you didn't have that information. I think it also, for younger generations, gives them a taste of those war years without, as I said, the emotional piece of a Saving Private Ryan or a Platoon or Deer Hunter. It gives them some of that that they can see it, kind of feel it, but see some of the humor that went with it too. But I do think they find it fascinating to look back and go, what do you mean they couldn't just use their cell phone to call home? What do you mean there was no FaceTime to see their family and everything had to be done by letter? Right. You know, letter, it's such a lost form now. And I think we, you know, now live in a society definitely where we, you know, are a binge watching generation where we, we watch a show from beginning to end. We, you know, they drop Cobra Kai. We watch Cobra Kai. They drop, you know, whatever we watch with MASH. You still can binge it, but it's 11 seasons of content of shows that you can grow with. You can start at the beginning and go through the end. And like we've talked about, you can see these rich characters develop and grow for 11 years i mean what what else do we have really that grows that long with those same characters and develops like that it's like reading it's like reading harry potter you know from beginning to end you you grow with those characters and of course the great writing the great directions the thing that you touched on that just never gets old i mean i think they appreciate the storytelling of it unfortunately hulu is the only place right now i mean unless you buy the DVD collection or something. That's the only place you can see it from beginning to end right now. I could tell you the story. I could tell you the story about my trip to Barnes and Nobles where they had the entire Green Locker box collection with the final episode. <laughs> That's normally like 200 bucks. I actually could have got it for 50 bucks. 
And, oh. I, and I talked myself out of it because no. I was like, oh, not to make this a commercial right now, but it, you can get it at walmart.com for $59.99. Yeah, well, it is at Barnes and Noble for nine. The same problem I have is the same problem I have now. It's that or pay for electric and gas for the month. You know, it's, it's like, which, <laughs> which is why the irony, gonna... the irony is your DVD player needs electricity. Yeah, right. to work. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a problem. All right. Nick, have you covered all of your questions? I think we covered this show in a, in a pretty unique way. So let's spend the rest of the night playing mass trivia. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I've got that same game. No, I'm, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> it's been so long since I've actually seen most of the episodes that I, I don't remember. Well, we should, you know, watch them all and then do that. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I'll buy the DVD set and you all can, I'll pass it around <laughs> so everyone has a chance to watch it. All right. Well, we always like to leave uh, one more catch all because we know, you know, you're, you're talking, you're in the heat of the moment, you're reminiscing. Is there anything else that you want to get off your chest right now that you didn't already cover about the great show that is MASH? Uh, just one, my last thing is, can we just all forget that after MASH ever happened? Oh, yeah, you didn't ask him the question about those spinoffs, Nick. We're opening a whole different can of worms here, but I don't think we're going to have nearly the conversations about any of those spinoffs that we just had here. I didn't watch any of them. And I, I stayed a few episodes sure. of Trapper John, but no. I wa well, I, I watched a little Trapper John at first out of curiosity. I did watch Aftermath, but that was painful. Yeah. And I have since YouTube the uh, brief radar spinoff they tried to do, which was not good. But I think one of the, if I could say one thing, last thing, and I'll try to make it really quick because we talked about a lot of the characters, we talked about a lot of the people, but Gary Burkhoff as Radar mm -hmm. Riley, one of the, you know, the only actor that came from the movie to the show, really, that character again and the growth that he had. And, uh, you know, he was kind of the, the heartbeat of that show for a long time. And of course, very funny, with, you know, had a lot of great lines from small town to Tumwa, Iowa, and his, you know, kind of small town things. And one of my favorite episodes, The Pink Pagoda, where he gets wounded and Hawkeye ends up throwing up and walking out of the, and they end up fighting at the end. Yes. Where these two characters that love each other, you know, suddenly are fighting against each other. And, and it's also, again, one of the few episodes where Hawkeye salutes another member. He salutes Radar at the end. So I'll leave it on that. I could talk about MASH all night long. Wouldn't bother me a bit. <laughs> Anything else? Just a funny thing about Alan Alda and you talk about Loretta Swit not being able to continue with her career. I'll never forget the movie Tower Heist that has oh. Ben Stiller in it. And that yeah. he was mean. He was. He Alan Alda people. was a jerk. <laughs> it was such a shock. It's the same way watching Daniel Radcliffe from Harry Potter. And now you see me too, where he's mean. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> do it but i loved alan alden tower heights i thought he was i i loved the fact that he was mean in a fun way so so it is kind of fun when they move into other areas and you're like whoa okay. as, as he yeah. was in the aviator too he was brilliant in that movie too yeah, he he's was. one of the few who actually did get to continue and appeared in several different types of roles and different roles in general i mean you didn't see radar in much after you didn't see you know clinger I call them by their characters' names, but the actors, yeah. Jamie Farr, <laughs> Gary Burkhoff, you didn't see them in very much after that, just like Loretta Swit. I mean, 
and and a lot of that is because Alan Alda ended up writing and directing a lot of his own films. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. he, uh, even even Alan Alda to a degree had to forge his movie career going forward because of typecasting to a lesser degree as everyone else. But he had the ability to do that with his writing and directing background. He was ahead yeah. of the game. Like now, they're saying uh, actors to move forward really should be writing and or producing their own content. And right. Yep. What's the name of his podcast, Nick? Uh, Clear and Vivid. He has a podcast all about communication where he interviews people from that bent of communicating different things. Because the rest of his career is about science communication and how to get information from that expert level down to the, the mass public in an understandable way. And it is, it's fascinating, it's enjoyable, and he has a wide berth of guests. And there is one episode where every remaining cast member of MASH, they come on and, and have a, a conversation. Oh, oh. Nice. Anything else you want to say about MASH? If you haven't it's seen a classic. all the episodes, watch them. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. It'll be on for decades to come. Can I do my, my last trivia question that I already did to Nick? <laughs> yeah. I, th I think I've already done this one to Todd, so he may know it, but I'll say it too. Can anybody remember what Radar's friend that he used to talk to the radio on the radio all the time, they used to call the other camp and talk to this character? Do you remember it? Oh, I've seen so many of the episodes so long ago. Do you I remember, Todd? I feel like it is right there because he says it a lot of times. I mean, it's throughout the show. It's been so long. Yeah, even Klinger talks to him quite a bit. Yeah, it's one name, right? Yeah. Just a single name. And it's very similar to Stampy, believe it or not. <laughs> Gosh. Um, nope, I don't have it. I don't yeah, have it. It was Sparky. Sparky! And the <laughs> trivia question I always give is, did you ever actually get to see Sparky? No, I don't believe so. Actually, you did in one episode. Yeah? The episode Tuttle, where they make up Tuttle, the fake captain, the fake surgeon. Yeah, was Hawkeye's imaginary friend when he was a kid. They actually, you actually get to see Sparky, and uh, he he answers the phone by saying Sergeant Pryor, which is the other trivia question you could do is what Sparky's last name is, Sergeant Pryor. Wow. Because they talk about Radar sending him the Shazam annual, and they they make him reverse the phone call back to the office so Hawkeye can impersonate a general. It's okay. So we have to go back. We have to edit this podcast. Take <laughs> all of us but Stampy out of it because we're obviously not serious enough Mash fans. <laughs> No, no, no. It's Sparky's those, last name. It's you just know? one of those worthless pieces of information that's still rattling around in my brain that will be it. there till I probably die. So <laughs> it's worth something. You augmented this podcast. Well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody watching was probably screaming at the screen. It was Sparky, you idiots. It was Sparky. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think we'll leave it. So what I want to do is thank Jason, Stacy, Todd, Cheryl. And Nick for co-moderating our Legacy MASH Patreon bonus panel. And we hope you've enjoyed it. Stay tuned for all of the cool updates and neat things coming out. And of course, you can find us on social media and anywhere you get your podcasts. Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation Point! was produced by Back Pocket Productions, run by yours truly, the Chief Couch Potato, which is really another way of saying executively produced by me, Kylie Piette. My associate producers are Krista Pennington and Celine Resmer. I edit this podcast, and our logo is by Rebecca Wallace. Our marketing graphic artist is Krista. Our theme song was written by Sarah Milbratz and sung by Sarah, Amy McDaniel, and Kels Resmer. Kels played the keyboard, Ian McDonough played the bass, Christian Somerville played the guitar, and the whole shebang was engineered by Kyle Aspinall and Christian. We hail from Grand Rapids, Michigan. 
Please, if you like what you hear, take the time to rate us, give us stars, provide comments, or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon are just a few of the places you can find us, but we're also on YouTube. We have our website. Otherwise, feel free to tell us how we're doing, what we should add, subtract, keep, or toss. You know how it goes. And if you have suggestions for shows we might consider, contact us at our website where we have a guest book. By email at couchpotatoesunitepodcast at gmail.com, our Facebook, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at couchpotatoesunite, or wherever you get your podcasts. Though, of course, we add new and old shows to chat about around the water cooler all the time and always have new episodes coming down the pipe. Just listen to our intros. If you miss old episodes or want to know in general what shows we cover, just search for us. Find us wherever you do searchable things on the internet. Don't forget that exclamation point. Or contact us via our website, our email, our social media accounts, and stay up on all the new events and episodes by our humble little podcast, Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point! Until the next time, all available seasons of MASH are available to stream on Hulu, which houses a large proportion of the 20th Century Fox Library. If you have nominations for shows we should cover on our podcast, contact us via social media or email. You can volunteer to be a panelist, too. In the meantime, and until next time, until next episode, new episodes are published every Wednesday. Keep listening. Keep watching. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.